Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Greetings, everybody out there in podcast land. Thank you for downloading this show and caring about independent music because, let's be honest, there are so many things that can tear you away from paying attention to not only this podcast, but independent music in general. And the fact that you are engaging with this, it is awesome. I love to hear it, love to see it, and love that I get to bring this live episode that I did back at. Outbreak Festival over in Manchester, United Kingdom, back in June of 2022. I have Dan Tracy, the drummer for Deaf Heaven, and then I have Anthony from Ceremony on the podcast. These were both really, really fun conversations. I've actually, I've known Dan for quite some time. We actually played in a band together. We go into it on the interview, but uh, no one talks to the drummers, (laughs) like in general, and uh, I was excited to have Dan on the show. And then Anthony, what a champ. He went through travel hell all day. And like they lost his equipment and a bunch of other stuff. He showed up five minutes before we were supposed to chat. And he still did it. He could have totally just, you know, not blown me off, but just could be like, oh, dude, I can't make this. I'm not going to do it. But he didn't. <laughs> he showed up. And he and I had an incredibly engaging conversation, and I just, I, I love that. So shout out to Outbreak Fest, shout out to Simone, give it up for him. I'm like asking for applause in a audio one-way only podcast, but give it up for him because uh, he is the man behind the boards getting all of these rad discussions documented, and uh, I'll have a few more over the next couple of weeks. And it's been really, really fun to not only revisit these conversations, but just reflect on my time at that festival, because holy moly, if you are not making plans to go over to the UK in 2023, you, my friend, are missing out, because it was one of the best music festivals I've ever been to. So anyways... Let's get all that out of the way. You can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I appreciate all of the reviews that you would leave on Apple Podcasts. You can just you know take 30 seconds out of your day, 
leave some star reviews on there, or if you're feeling a little bit more generous with your time, maybe spending a minute on it, you can write a review there. It helps with the algorithm. You can also check out the show, obviously, on Spotify, anywhere you consume podcasts. But if you wanted to leave a star rating and review, rating, not a review, on Spotify, really helps out there. Also, I'm going to start publishing more of these interviews to YouTube. Uh, not every single one, because uh, frankly, that's a lot of work, but it's a great way to uh, spread the word for the show. So anyways, if you want to consume that uh, on the YouTube channels, I will start to include a link in the show notes for you to check out. So anyways, let's dive into our chat with Dan from Deaf Heaven and Anthony from Ceremony, both who played the Outbreak Festival. I saw both of their sets and they were just amazing. Like I love both of these bands a tremendous amount. And to be able to have these discussions with them in front of a live studio audience was really, really fun. So anyways, here is Dan first, then a little break in the action. And then we got Anthony right up afterwards. So that's what we got. Dan Ray, how you it's, doing? It's 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 funny because I've known you since you were 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, which that makes me old, obviously, and you're <laughs> older now. I'm a little older. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but um, I specifically wanted to do this not only because I enjoy you as a human being and I enjoy your band, but generally speaking, no one talks to drummers. It's uh, it's very rare to get asked to do an interview. So thanks for being here, listening to the drummer talk. I know it's. Not the singer, the guitarist, but appreciate it. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, just because I don't write lyrics means I'm a lesser human being in a band? Apparently. Yeah. That's what I've been told. <laughs> That's what I've been told. That's what George constantly tells me. Dan, sit behind the kit and do those blast beats. That's all I want from you. No, he doesn't The kid's say a cage. Right. <laughs> but and it's one of those things where I think the common trope of drummers is the fact that you are more quiet and reserved and like that's why you prefer to be behind the kit would you say that you know because you've obviously traveled and toured with so many different bands do you think that's accurate or just a complete stereotype uh it's definitely a stereotype but i do agree that i guess i do like to do interviews a little less than than well george is the one who typically does most of our interviews i think he's the only one in the band that actually enjoys doing them right yeah (laughs) even even carrie's like just give it to George. <laughs> but I do like to do them every once in a while just to remind people that I'm here and see if anyone's interested in hearing a drummer's perspective, you know? <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. You're like, yeah. I like to occasionally pop in. Hey, guys, exactly. I'm here. <laughs> right, right. Um, so like I mentioned, we, we played in a band. You, so we played in a band called Makoto, and this was in Southern California. And uh, Dan started playing, or we started playing together when Dan was 16. I, I don't even remember how old I was, but whatever. Older than you. <laughs> yeah. um, and I remember it was one of those things where I was always really impressed, obviously, with your drumming. And you had that, that um, ability very early on where you were very dedicated to being a drummer, where it was like I was very focused. Because, you know, when you're 15, 13, 14, 15, like, you're everywhere. Right. So was that basically hard-baked in you, where it's like once you found the drumsticks, it was like, that's all I care about? It's definitely something that I, I was adept at at a young age. You know, I started around 11 years old, and um, I just kind of had a knack for it. 
I only took lessons for about two months when I started, and then I just started to kind of emulate my favorite drummers, which were, you know, like Dave Lombardo from Slayer, Vinnie Paul from Pantera, Max Cavalera, Sepultura, that kind of stuff. So I just kind of copy them, build up the chops, and then once you start playing in bands, even when you are 13 years old, when you're a good drummer, you're very valuable. People want you in their band. So you end up being in like eight bands at the same time. You got to say no to all these people. So I definitely kind of got, got, I guess, drafted into the role. Yeah. But um, I've enjoyed it the whole time. So no complaints. Right. Yeah. The and with in taking two months of lessons as you know when you're trying to figure out what drumming is. Is it one of those things where because I, I I mean I play drums very poorly and never took a lesson but drum lessons seem like a waste of time. I don't know well, if they're a waste of time, but... They're, they're just incredibly dry because they start you off on a snare drum and they just get you on the fundamentals, which I, it's probably dry to you guys as well. It's just all about how you hold your stick, you know, how you position your stick on the drum, um, just technique stuff like that. And eventually I just got really bored and I was like, can I just play some fucking Metallica songs? You know, like, teach me, teach me some Slayer, fuck. So I just quit and ended up doing my own thing and it worked out, but... Yeah, I started playing in bands around 13 or 14, and I started going to hardcore shows around 15, um, to Gilman in Berkeley, uh, The Pound in San Francisco, um, all those kinds of spots, and I ended up joining a band called um, All Bets Off uh, when I was about 16, and it was so much fun just playing these like big-ass hardcore shows. They are all in like their 30s, I was literally 15, and um, it was just a wild occurrence, and, and I ended up have, moving to Orange County at 16. And that's when I linked up with you. So Right. Mm-hmm. I had no idea you played in All Bets Off. Yep. That is hilarious <laughs> because that, I mean, definitely a very reputable Bay Area hardcore band where it's like every touring band played with All Bets Off. Right. And like, I had no idea that. So, and you, you were literally playing with people twice. They were literal dads when you were playing oh, with them. Easily twice my age. <laughs> yeah, easily. But I got to see some really awesome shows, play some really awesome shows at a super young age. And that totally ingrained that, that love in me, for sure. Well, I just had to keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. Was that, uh, I mean, because, just because I know you as an individual, you don't seem like a person that's, I guess, intimidated, but was it scary to, like, play with, like, literal adults when you were a child? Well, I don't know if you ever met Sammy, the singer of All Bets Off. Oh, he's a, he's a, yeah, yeah. I, I love him to death, but he was an incredibly intense dude. He used to literally tackle me over the drum kit at practice. I'd just be like playing the song and just, I would just get tackled out of nowhere. It's like, what the fuck? Like, he was a total psycho, best hardcore frontman of all time. Um, you know, he passed away in uh, 2014, I believe. I think so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, awesome experience. I loved every minute of it. That's, uh, yeah, that is intense if he's trying to tackle you at practice. Would he do that at shows as well? Well, he, he would actually let me play at shows because I was the only one that I should keep the beat the entire time, you know? So he wouldn't fuck with that. <laughs> he's like, we have, to, we have to finish the song. <laughs> exactly. One of the last shows I played with them before I moved to Orange County um, was a full set of minor threat covers. It was super fun. And we made custom shirts for it. It said uh, either all threats off or the minor bets. It was just like, oh my god, it was so much fun. (laughs) Um, And what I remember, because you know, you were in high school when we first started to play together, and uh, your—I mean, especially your father—was very supportive of you pursuing your drum life, whatever that meant. And just the idea, like, I I, I think back, I'm like, if I were to allow—I have an 11-year-old child. If he came to me in a couple years and was like, "Hey, Dad, I'm gonna go on tour," I'm like, "The hell, you're not. You're not gonna go on tour." 
So your dad trusted us to take you around the United States and Canada. Right. And that's weird. It's funny you should mention that because while I was in Makoto with you, I was kicked out of my mom's house. I got totally just kicked out because I was a bad, bad kid. <laughs> and she also didn't really like me playing shows or traveling. So um, I kind of looked out and I ended up moving to my dad's house. And then when I went to my dad's, my dad was like, dude, go on a fucking tour, do this shit. <laughs> so I lucked out for sure. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think didn't uh, our mutual band member, Martin, have to like sign for you as an unaccompanied minor? 100%. Martin was my like legal guardian when we would travel. <laughs> Which is insane. I can't even believe that. Why? What the hell were we doing? Anyways. But that also speaks to the fact that you were so focused and committed on being like, I want to be a good drummer. I want to record. I want to have these experiences. Even though maybe stylistically, it's like, uh, you know, it, it might not have been that sort of music that you ideally wanted to play. You were like, I want to get this experience. Was that always kind of your focus? I think that's, that's part of being a drummer is, is uh, you know, serving the song. You know, you don't necessarily write the riffs per se. So you, the riffs are brought to you, you help with the arrangement, and then you put your touch on it. And that does include not having total control over what kind of music you produce. And I think being a drummer, you got to be open to to providing, a, like I guess, a service to to a band. As a session drummer, you know you can you're kind of expected to play literally any style that they throw at you. So, um, as a drummer, you got to be super, uh, you know, adept at using different styles. Right, like you can't you you are there, like you said, to serve the song as opposed to be like, oh, this, <laughs> I'm going to put this, you know, really. Uh, complicated jazz part over something that it doesn't call for it because right. I wanted to play it. Yeah, well, the best part is when you join a band where they're just like, go wild, do anything you want. And that's literally what Def Heaven was. Def Heaven was like, dude, just do your thing. You know, Carrie had... When I met George and Carrie in the uh, end of 2012, um, Carrie was working on Sunbather. He was basically writing the entire record by himself. And, um, you know, they're sharing a, a little apartment in the Mission. I was living downtown San Francisco. We're, but we're all just really broke, struggling, you know, working dead-end jobs. Just had no other skills other than playing an instrument. So George and Carrie approached me, and they're like, you know, we lost our entire band, and we think we might have to break up. But we're working on a record, and if you want to come help us write it and put it together, you're more than welcome. And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So Carrie and I were, were locked up in a rehearsal space for about three or four months, basically composing these riffs that Carrie had. And um, we went and recorded with uh, Jack Shirley at the beginning of 2013 and um, you know, did our thing. George came in, did his thing on that, and the record turned out really good. And um, you know, they asked me if, we, if I knew anyone that could help with touring. And my best friend, uh, Shiv Mara, who is currently our, our guitarist as well, uh, filled in the spot immediately, perfect fit. And, um, you know, we had a bass player that's not with us anymore, but, but ever since then, it's been a super solid just group of core members that has been um, just ready to go the whole time. It's been great. That's, because uh, I, I did remember when you made, like, when I heard that you had joined Death Heaven, because I know that, like, once you left Makoto in, what, 2009 or so? I think it was 2006. 2006? Yes. Jesus, Lord Almighty, yeah. where does time go? <laughs> Anyways, but I remember it was one of those things where... Um, I was, uh, I was concerned about you based on the fact, not from like a, oh, I'm concerned about your life, but I'm like, I want you to find a spot where you can fit as far as a musician is concerned. And once I heard you enjoy Deaf Heaven, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so perfect for your music tastes, but then also the fact that you like to have the creative 
freedom to, like you said, do whatever you want. It, it, was, it was serendipitous, 100%. The fact that we all found each other at that time, all gelled together so well, and we still are gelling together so many years later. Um, yeah, it worked out perfectly. Had you been, you, I presume prior to that, you were aware of Deaf Heaven, right? Just kind of... Definitely, yeah. Um, I wasn't so much tapped into like the hardcore scene at that point. I had rejoined a band with Sammy um, called Grace Alley, when I moved back to San Francisco in 2010. So I was playing a few shows with them, but that ended up fizzling out really quick. And I was kind of just jamming with Shiv. We were writing our own songs and um, playing shows at bars, just keeping it really low-key. And um, yeah, and I'd, I've heard of Deaf Heaven, but their roommate actually is the one who suggested that we meet. His roommate, I was just talking to him at a bar one night. He's like, dude, my roommates, they need a drummer. They play in a, a metal band. And they have the tours booked. They got a record going. I'm like, dude, it's on. It's over. Like, immediately. <laughs> I met him a week later, and it was, it was good from there. Right. I, um, I have an early memory of Deaf Heaven because uh, when my friend Joey and I were putting on Sound and Fury, we put on Deaf Heaven, I want to say in 2011. So it was like right after Roads, Roads of Judah came out. Sure. Everybody hated them. Like, they bummed everybody out because it was just like, what the hell is this band? I have no idea what they're doing on this hardcore festival. And it it definitely felt like they were onto something, but they were just holding on by a thread, George and Carrie specifically. And so it, it, it is interesting that you were, like, sort of aware, but it was like they were falling apart as they were trying to come together. It's exactly how it went. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nearing its conclusion, and then it just got revivified and just kind of took yeah. off. Um, the obviously Deaf Heaven over time each record is completely different than the last one um, and when I say completely different like there's obviously commonalities whether it's like you guys love long songs like <laughs> I mean obviously on the new record there's definitely shorter songs but the fact that um, each record uh, bums old fans out <laughs> but then picks up like I'm sure you guys like have the as you are creating the record you're just like Okay, well, we're gonna bum these people out, but then, I mean, not like it's, it's deliberately. Never intentional, I promise. It's it's never intentional. No, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't mean to paint you like that, where it's like, okay. oh man, I can't wait to bum everybody out. But just that idea, where it's like, when you guys are working on the music individually and are like, I don't know how this is gonna go, but we're obviously following our creative muse. Um, is there any, I guess, fear in putting it out to the world? Oh yeah, I mean, um, it's always, I guess, a gamble. But um, like you said, the way that we write songs is just just writing songs without any intention. And if we're feeling that a song doesn't intend to get aggressive, then we won't make it get aggressive. Um, And then that kind of turns into uh, a handful of songs that aren't aggressive. And that's literally the process. There was like no thought beyond that um, as to what it was going to sound like in the end. Right. Yeah. And so when, uh, like you were mentioning, as you came together when Southern Bather was hitting, and obviously that record got you guys on the map as far as touring and people paying attention to, like, I'll never forget the Pitchfork review of people being like, this band's good, they're not a bunch of posers. <laughs> but at that time, there was also, the, you guys didn't know how to be a band per se, like as far as touring, like you were probably just completely um, untethered to how to try to sustain yourselves from the long term. So, like, talk to me about that as you guys were, like, learning how to be, you know, touring musicians and, like, not destroying yourselves. Oh, wow, yeah, that took a handful of years to kind of learn how to do because I would say 2013 to 2017 were 
hitting it way too hard, just, just traveling way too much, um, pushing ourselves, partying way too hard, you know, just um, doing everything kind of in an amateurish way, I guess, as far as uh, taking care of our bodies on tour. Um, but eventually we kind of reached a point in 2017 where we, we tried to turn it around and, and like you said, uh, uh, contribute to the longevity of our band as opposed to um, just having fun in the moment. <laughs> yeah, because I think that, especially too, when you guys were, because you, you didn't intend anything with Sunbather to be what it was as far as attention and touring, it's like all of a sudden that it's there, you're just like, Oh crap! Like, what do we do with this? Uh, we had we had an amazing time. It was such a blast, but I think that it could only last for a certain amount of time before it reached a cap of like we got to change the way that we do this. Right, of. right. Um, considering the fact that you guys have played a wide array of touring opportunities, from you know total straight metal bands to um, bands that are obviously not in the metal or hardcore world, um, what do you think was either the most difficult? tour or show as far as a pairing is concerned where the audience was basically like yeah we hate you and you guys obviously were just like well uh, we're here which which to choose from Let's yeah, see. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, would, uh, I would say the most difficult experience that we had while touring was in 2016 um, we did a, a full US tour with um, Lamb of God Anthrax yes and, I remember um, that Power Trip so, and you guys um, were like two out of four on that, right? Two out of four. Power Trip was first of four. So we were between Power Trip and Anthrax. And we had just put out New Bermuda. And George was still in kind of a stage where he had like a little more of a persona. And he didn't really uh, interact with the crowd at all. And I think that was our downfall in that people saw us, like these, these guys wearing you know, tight clothes with like short hair. Not, not even like giving the crowd the time of day. They started throwing shit at us. They started calling us like... Well, our bass player, Steve, is an islander. They started throwing racial slurs at him. Uh, they basically just took every opportunity to trash us as much as possible. We wouldn't even go into the crowd because we were worried about how people would react to us seeing us off the stage. And that was difficult. That was tough to get through. Right. You just like put your head down and be like, well, exactly. we got four more weeks. Well, about two weeks in, we realized that George was the deciding factor. And it, <laughs> he, he essentially... <laughs> He realized that he had to be this like this like metal pumper upper guy in order for them to fuck with us at all. So the first thing he would say as soon as we got out on stage, like be like, "What's up, motherfuckers?" <laughs> and everyone would be like, "Yeah!" <laughs> and it seriously changed the game. Like it really it changed the game. That's amazing <laughs> that he was like, "Okay, I, we can do everything the same, but as long as I say, "What's up, motherfuckers from Oklahoma?" Throw some horns up, you know, like. That's it. It changes the game. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. It's, it's good that you realize that as opposed to you're done with the tour and be like, oh, maybe we should have tried that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, um, with, the, with the newest record, Infinite Granite, like that, I mean, that's clearly even more of a departure because like, there is um, you know, hardly any screaming on it whatsoever. Um, how has it been for you guys, especially you specifically, because you are still playing songs from Sunbather that are really intense. You know, you're doing like five minutes of blast beats. Oh, yeah. And then now you're playing songs that obviously are a little more easier condition on you condition-wise. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, it's super refreshing for me. Obviously, I can just like kind of hang out up there and have fun as opposed to, you know, an endurance fest like the older songs, which are also fun as well. But I think having the variety is my favorite part. You know, having a few rippers, a few chillers, and just having that variety for sure. Yeah. Is it one of those things where you look on the set list where it's like, 
Oh, dude, I got to buckle down for this next song. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll take it easy on a song because I know the next one is just going to be brutal. <laughs> right, you're going to die. <laughs> when, um, when you were going through that era of, like you said, when you moved back up to San Francisco and you were you know, trying to figure out what you wanted to uh, do musically, who you're trying to join with, um, did it ever get to a point where you were like, all right, drums is obviously not going to be the thing that I pursue professionally and I'm just going to you know, get a job or whatever. I can't build my life around something unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever feel like you, obviously you didn't make the choice, but did you ever feel that pull away from it? It's, it's actually funny you should mention that. It was 2012 and I was uh, managing a warehouse for like an oddities store on Valencia Street in San Francisco and I was just sick of doing the nine to five. I wasn't making a lot of money and I took my real estate courses Oh. Yeah, so I pursued that for like a minute, and I was literally about to take my exam when I met George and Carrie, <laughs> and it went a wildly different route, and obviously I could not do both at the same time, so I, I went the music route, but I, during the pandemic, I ended up getting my real estate license. Oh, hell, so Dan I Tracy, the realtor. <laughs> I have it. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but it was just something I did in my spare time, um, you know, because during the pandemic, it was super rough for people who toured for a living. Absolutely. So I had to pursue something else, see what I could do. And uh, it's just kind of in my back pocket for now. See what, right. see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, if anybody wants to move to San Francisco, just hit up Dan Tracy. He'll sell you a house. Um, <laughs> th- like I was mentioning earlier with your, your parents and specifically with your dad, like we've kind of joked before. I mean, I remember at some of our early shows that we played together, your dad was just on board immediately like whatever you guys need and he was so intense he's a psycho <laughs> and how you know for you to be able to like obviously be a touring musician and give him the ability to watch you be successful at that um is it one of those things like do you guys does he communicate with you where it's like dan i'm proud of you like how does that relationship look oh he's amazing he's at every la show we play and he typically gets a, a like a party bus for, for my, my whole side of my dad's family. Oh, he's, he's insane. And he'll, <laughs> he'll fill the party bus with just like fifths and fifths of booze. And everyone will show up to the show completely hammered. But, I mean, they have a great time, but it's, it's, it's so extreme. And, like, I, he came out to a show. We opened up for Danzig in uh, 2017 in uh, Las Vegas. So he ended up coming out just solo. He's like, Daniel, coming out to Vegas by myself. I'm not even getting a room. We're going hard. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so he comes out, and he's in the pit during our set, and it's the last song of the set. We're playing the end of Dreamhouse, and I'm just you know, playing the part. Look out, and my dad is army crawling over the front row, pushing this woman into the front row, and she's like, help. Security's like, yo, get off. He's like, fuck you. Security starts dragging my dad out of the show. I'm watching my dad get dragged out of the show while playing the song. I'm looking at Shiv. Shiv just like playing guitar like. (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculous. So as soon as I get off stage, I'm like, shit, I got to get my dad back in the show. (laughs) I love how the roles are reversed where your dad took care of you as you were younger. But then like clearly just being like, dad, I got to when you come to a show, I got to babysit you. Essentially. I mean, I wouldn't expect any less. I, I love it. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and so how, how has your, uh, I guess, other side of the family in regards to you, you know, being a touring musician and doing this thing and obviously being, you know, having been legitimized as one, um, how do they react to it? Is it one of those things where they are just kind of like, well, Dan's doing his thing or 
do you have any communication with them as far as like, good job, Dan, you play drums? <laughs> well, I, I got two sides to my family. My dad's side is you know, very musical and very into that whole thing. My mom's side is very religious and very not. Um, and so she, she'll show up every once in a while and be like, oh, this is cool. Um, I think it was in 2019 when we, you know, very fortunately got our Grammy nomination. When, when I shared that with them, they're like, whoa, are, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, yeah. Right. And they're like, oh, okay, um, wow, maybe I should check out your band, you know, so that helped a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of those things where you can't unlegitimize it. It's like, Everybody knows what a Grammy is. I don't care who you are. Right. They will it pay attention to that. Levels the playing field a little bit. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, and tell me, that was, I was actually going to ask about that experience because that is absolutely hilarious that <laughs> you were able to show up at that event, look all nice in your you know, black <laughs> uniforms and everything. Was that just kind of like, what the hell are we even doing here? It was surreal, to say the least. I mean, it was just super fun. Um, I just had a great time all around. Like, uh, bring me, uh, bring me the horizon was on the the red carpet as well. Uh, Between the buried and me, who we'd actually done a full U.S. tour with before, so it was cool to reconnect with them in that environment, you know. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but the Grammy ended up going to High on Fire, which I was like, dude, if anyone was gonna win that, like, it should have one hundred percent have been High on Fire. So that was. I was happy with that outcome. Right, like even if you won, you would have been like Matt Pike. Here's your Grammy. Right. I, I feel like I would have had to like. Handed over. <laughs> so the last thing I want to hit on was the uh, because you've toured so much now in a variety of different circumstances from you know overseas to United States, buses, vans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, there are things that you probably do to make your life a little bit more comfortable on the road. Um, and I know from touring with you, like you liked the touring experience, but there was definitely times where you're like, "Leave me alone. I need to be alone." Right. Um, so what are I guess kind of hacks that you do personally? To make yourself more comfortable. Well, definitely um, isolation every once in a while is super key. And um, I think having a bunk is, is crucial, whether it's like a bandwagon or a bus or even like a sprinter or sleeper. Just having some kind of like area where you can just close it off for a minute is crucial. Um, downloading a bunch of movies and TV shows on your phone, just kind of zoning out to TV. Um, I'm also a stoner, so I smoke a lot of weed. Sure. <laughs> and I'll bring my weed pen and kind of hit that and just zone out. Just just kind of just being patient and meditating and just kind of not trying to freak yourself out and get too anxious overall. Right, right. Well, you are a very chill dude, but then the weed also helps. <laughs> <laughs> it's been in my blood since I was in Makoto. So. <laughs> it is very true. Yes, I, I definitely remember staying at people's houses where you're like, hey, you got any weed? And I was like, oh, Dan, you can't ask that the first question, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> no, no tact at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I love you. Well, everybody, give it up for Dan. Thank you very much for hanging out. Shout out to the fine folks at rockabilia.com where they are giving you this exclusive 10% off discount. Go to rockabilia.com, use the code 100 words or less, and you will be able to shop to your heart's content. They have so many pieces of merchandise from bands that everybody cares about, whether it's your mom, your brother, your sister, whoever, (laughs) I don't care who it is, they're going to find something that they enjoy there. It's all officially licensed stuff. They actually just finished a pretty cool run at the Minneapolis State Fair. They are located in Minneapolis and they do these really cool limited edition. They only sell it at the um, fair there. And it's really cool because they document some pretty important shows that happened in Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. So 
rockabilia.com, 100 words or less, find all of the stuff that you could possibly want, all officially licensed, all shipped out from the Midwest in the United States of America. And I love the company and you will have a lot of fun browsing on their website. So use the promo code 100 words or less, rockabilia.com. Bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. There we go. Great. Great discussion with Dan, right? He is an unbelievable drummer, and uh, I just love watching him play. Loved playing in a band with him, all of those things. And um, yeah, let's go ahead and dive into the conversation with Anthony from Ceremony, who just had lost his keytar prior to this conversation, and from what I understand, has not found it. Thank you very much, Airlines, because you know that's a that's a real tough thing. So, anyways, here's Anthony from Ceremony. Our friends at evilgreed.net want to make sure that you are outfitted with bands that most likely you enjoy, their merch, their records, they offer a bunch of stuff there. So go to evilgreed.net and use this promo code. It gets you 10% off your order. It's 100 words. That's the number 100 words. And they are a very highly curated merchandise company from Berlin, Germany. They ship it out fast wherever you're located, but in particular in the United States, like sometimes you're like international shipping. How's that going to get to me quick? They know what's up and the costs are very, very cheap. It's awesome. And they are a highly curated. Like when I talk about highly curated, they act like a record label where they only work with certain bands. They only work with certain record labels. They want you to be very participatory where it's like, hey, you know what? I like Deaf Heaven. I'll bet you I'll like Emma Ruth Rundle. And I'll bet you I will probably like what Closed Casket Activities has got going on. That's just to name a few people and organizations that they work with. I met them actually over at Outbreak Festival, and I really, really enjoy what they do. It's definitely, um, you know, a different approach than a lot of other merch companies that, you know, build a very, very wide tent. Evil Greed is being like, hey, if you like this style of music, you're probably going to find 10 to 15 bands (laughs) that you will undoubtedly enjoy on our website as well. So again, evilgreed.net. 
Use the promo code 100words, 10% off your order. Have fun exploring. Everybody, please give a warm welcome to Anthony from Ceremony. There's a lot of people here. <laughs> I know. To watch you talk. Uh, no, it has nothing to do with me. A lot I of just, pressure. I said, I. For you. It, well, let me tell you, when I first started this on Friday, never having done a live podcast before, I was like, yo, if there's two people here, success. Yeah, and uh, once people started to show up, I was like, oh, this has to be real. Yeah. Congratulations. And thank you all for being here to watch us speak. That's yeah. <laughs> very flattering and very yes, humbling. Thank yes. you. Yes. But I, I thank you because, for one, you didn't need to do this. And for two, you busted your ass to get over here. I even told the crowd you lost your keytar. It's true. My keytar is gone. I don't know where it is. But it's not going to stop the rock this <laughs> evening, that I promise. And let me tell you, if you have never seen Ceremony, they literally are one of the, in my opinion, I've seen you guys probably 15, 16 times. Mm-hmm. You're a very good band, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you. We're very happy to be here. It's going to be super fun. Manchester, Stone Roses. Stone Roses are playing tonight. They're getting back together to play. <laughs> Oasis, surprise reunion. Oasis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy Definitely Mondays. Not. So I, I have had the privilege of having you on my podcast previously. Uh-huh. I looked back at the date, and that was uh, 2019, which it <clears> felt like. I was like, that oh, wasn't that long ago, but <clears> it was. It was a different lifetime. It was. And um, you continue, as far as ceremony is concerned, you continue to do whatever the hell you want. And that makes me personally happy as a fan because I continue to watch how wild and weird you get, but at the same time always be ceremony. Is it, is it hard for you guys at this point now to like put together sets, like <laughs> set lists? Because you have so much material of a wide spectrum. Yeah, it is. Um but now, the thing that's tough about it is gauging the crowd during the show because, you know, we have, like you said, so many records and we sort of span many sort of genres within like the umbrella of punk or underground music that certain crowds, you could tell only know us from certain records and certain crowds only know us from other records. So, hey, Nikki, Nikki Money right there from nothing. He's, he'll be speaking with us tonight. But back on me. The attention, I need, I need all the attention right now. Uh, just kidding. Um, but, you know, uh, the difficult thing, it's, it's, it's really easy when it's our own show and our headlining show, especially in, like, a place like California where I know that everyone there has sort of been along with the ride with us. I like writing the set lists that have those ebbs and flows um, and are very dynamic. Those, that, that's, that's the fun stuff. Sometimes when a crowd is only familiar with your new stuff or vice versa, the older stuff, you know, I'll sort of write the set list leaning that way. But at this point, there are, you know, half, half the songs that we play, I feel like are rather staples. But it, it really depends on the show, and it really depends on the environment. Yeah, and that, because I imagine that is when you are deliberately, like, you know, you're playing, obviously, a hardcore festival here, so you might pull further back. Sure. Well, or vice you, versa. Well, the wonderful thing about sort of our world right now is that it's 
has really cracked open. And, you know, when I started going to shows, the punk scene was here. Even the hardcore, like the hardcore scene and the punk scene didn't really blend. And everything was very segregated. The people who went to the, to like the goth clubs were over there, the hardcore kids, the punks and the metalheads. And now I feel like every one has sort of come together. So now I feel like, you know, 15 years ago, it would have been a hard, it would have been hard for us to play our sort of new songs in an environment like this, where now I feel like, I mean, choir boys playing and, you know, there's so many synth driven bands and so many, you know, bands that, that are accepted within our world that don't necessarily fit within the, you know, stereotypical, you know, uh, sonic elements, you know, I feel like, and that's truly what a healthy scene is. A healthy scene is, is, you know, there's, there's punk, the, the genre, then there's punk, the scene. And the scene always attracted me because for me, it was a place for subversives and a place for weirdos. And, the more we try and define it and the more we try and and stay in one lane, the less subversive it is and the less it is for weirdos. So I feel, I know I'm kind of embroidering and elaborating a lot on the subtext of your question, but I feel like we've sort of been given permission to do whatever we want by by this scene now because of where it's grown and evolved to. It's true. You, I, you articulated it well because I do think that obviously there are many, you know, old people that existed before the internet that are just like, oh, it sucks that it takes no research to get into a band. Like all those tropes that exist of that. But to your point, the positive side of that is the fact that you can listen to so many different genres of music where you might not have been able to spend the... $20 on an import CD. Sure. And now you can be like, yeah, I like all of it because it all comes from that DIY trunk of the tree, so to of speak. Of course, of course, right. So with that, you, I mean, I know that you've also been, uh, I, I guess you would say moonlighting with Cold Cave as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. Mo- moonlighting, joined, whatever you sure. want to say. Um, that seems like a, it could not be more a, a perfect fit for you as an individual because clearly cold cave has obviously come from the same scene but it sonically could not have anything you know less to do but at the same time everyone has kind of followed west's evolution um has that been a fun experience for you to kind of see a very different side to like oh this is like very similar to what ceremony experiences or very different i see the parallels the obviously the big difference is that you know American Nightmare and Cold Cave are two completely different projects um, where we have kept the same members and the same, you know, the same name. But, of course, Cold Cave has introduced a lot of people who came from punk and a more aggressive music background to more synth-driven and... Um, Dark wave is a kind of a modern term, so I feel I don't, I don't really exactly know what that means, but more a, a style conducive to to that. Um, it's been amazing playing Cold Cave. Uh, it's I, my role is very different than what it is in Ceremony. Ceremony, you know, obviously I've I've started. I am you know I uh, am involved in every aspect of the group, 
where Cold Cave, I'm sort of there with whatever they sort of need, which makes it great that I could kind of, um, it makes it way more fun for me to juggle um, because I get to do completely different things. But I mean, Wes's, you know, impact and influence on sort of our broad world is, you know, very tangible. Absolutely. And especially, too, where I think that um, you, I mean, you have always expressed yourself uh, from a visual aspect, aesthetically, whether it's on stage or, like, I complimented your very nice jacket as we, uh, you know, beautiful. Oh, you even have a red flare in there. Oh, yeah. It's, it has red lining. Oh, it's beautiful. Red lining, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we got some woos there. Wow, that's good. We got some fashion big red, Big red fans yeah. here in Manchester. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And so I, I think the ability for you to show that you can not just obviously dress in, you know, shorts and New Balances and mm-hmm. a band T-shirt, like, that's also probably opened up other people to understand, like, in the way that Wes was doing with American Nightmare, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, like, you can look co- different than a quote-unquote hardcore kid. Has that been fun for you to kind of put out there? Well, that's... To me, that's what our that's what that's what our scene is is for. Again, like the music is undeniably integral, but finding a community that accepts you for who you are and where you could be and express yourself that is true to yourself is why a lot of us come to and why I came to a place like this. So I am more, you know, I, the, the early, I, I feel like the, the early days of, of, of punk, you saw more of a diverse and subversive sort of crowd. And then it got very monolithic. And I guess that's when I started going to shows was when it was sort of in that world. So I feel like contextually, maybe what I was doing seemed sort of odd, which to me seems odd. You know, it's supposed to be a place where we, where people who don't fit in can fit in. And then, and then I (laughs) wasn't really fitting in. Like it didn't really make sense, but I feel like it's now getting, you know, ceremony was just on tour return style and I saw so many different kinds of people, so many different kinds of aesthetics. You know, we're talking about my aesthetic, but a, a further from that, you know, when I started, when we started, it was a very white male dominated scene. It just was. And it is not that anymore. And I feel like it didn't start that way. So I'm happy to see that the scene is finally ending up where it was always meant to be. Yeah, no, I love that. That is the first applaud after a a period. Way to go, Anthony. I am... I'm probably the smartest guest you've had on. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I am friends and love most all... Most all people you've had on, by the way, are close friends of mine. Exactly. So I'm actually sad we got here just today to where I wasn't able to see more of, yeah, the, uh, right. of the talks. So you could actually speak to your smartness. <laughs> yes, yes. I could only do that because I, I, didn't, I didn't see any other ones. Exactly, right. No, I kid. I kid. You know I'm kidding. Yes, jokes. Jokes abound. Um, do you actually live in Los Angeles now? I do, yeah. When did you make that move down? Uh, five years ago. 
Wow, I missed that. October 17, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. How the ha- first day of the World Series, which is we only crazy because the Dodgers were in the World Series and I live right by Dodger Stadium. Oh. And I lived, I moved to a place that was, I thought, quiet. And then I was like, why is this the most popping off neighborhood at 7 o'clock in Los Angeles? And it's because baseball. there were sports across the street. <laughs> That's funny. You were like, I yeah. did not consider this. Yeah. Yeah. How has, uh, how do you enjoy Los Angeles in comparison to obviously Northern California? Um, I love Los Angeles. I feel Los Angeles is a very diverse place. And I feel like most people have a very distinct idea of what Los Angeles is. They think of sort of like West Hollywood or Beverly Hills or the sort of um, materialistic element. And there's a stigma in the Bay Area that everyone in L.A. is fake and that... Um, but then you grow up and you realize that people are fake everywhere. <laughs> and in Los Angeles, it's easier to spot those sort of uh, cultivated personalities, I feel like, a little more. That's all to say that um, not everywhere in most places in Los Angeles, I feel, are not like that. And I feel... And it's really great to again be in a very culturally rich diverse place that um is suitable for artists to thrive and you know the bay area although it will forever have my heart um from the rise of this this most recent tech boom stopped stopped being that that said there is a really great twee scene and an indie scene in San Francisco right now with bands like The Umbrellas, and it's great to see that it is um, sort of coming back. But also Los Angeles, you know, we've played there so much throughout our, our career, and I've been there so much that it kind of felt like I was more moving to a different neighborhood than, it, than I did a different, you know, place. Yeah, you're like, I've hung out here so many times. I've spent most, most time in L.A. from anywhere that I didn't lay my head, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of artists, I you you always seem to have different projects, whether it's uh, you know musical or whether it's the vegan pie business. Yeah, that you started. Yeah. Um, so, is it one of those things that you just constantly like to have, you know, sort of plates spinning in the air, or just other avenues of creativity for you to do? Yeah, I think I'm just a creative person, and by nature, and. Um, you know, anyone who sort of has that sort of bug knows that taking something from conception to fruition is a very fulfilling process. And um, I, I often have this sort of, um, to, a, to a detriment, to the point where um, I have no free time and I'm, I am juggling too many plates and too many things where um, I have sort of the opposite of writer's block many times and my brain, I can't, I can't get it to sort of shut down. So, um, it's just my nature that if nobody, if no one ever knew who I was or any of the projects I ever did, I'd still be constantly creating and doing things because that's just the sort of, I guess, personality that, that I have. Where, I mean, pie making is pretty random. I mean, I know you yeah. can, like, Baking is interesting, but like, yeah. where the hell did that come from? Um, I've always baked habitually. Just okay. I just um, I cook 
Um, do you guys cook? Do you guys like cooking? Um, no. Uh, oh, you know, there was this thing that happened about two years ago. We were all um, at home a lot more than normal. And so I was cooking a lot more. And a friend of mine um, owns um, a, uh, a burger store. And they asked me if I would sell my pies who they were impressed, that they were impressed by at their burger store. It hasn't happened in a long time. I haven't made a pie in, in about a year. I got a little burnt out on it. And then once, you know, life started coming back and, you know, um, all the music projects started to um, come back, that sort of got put on the back burner. But yeah, that was just a, you know, a, an, an outlet during a time when there weren't a lot of options for outlets. Yeah, I would just lo- I, I can personally envision you baking one pie to sell at the merch table every night like <laughs> I mean maybe not every night but I just like I, that, I just yeah. find that to be very charming rose pie right <laughs> yeah it's beautiful um, I want to talk about homesick the festival that you've you guys have obviously done you've done now three or four years running or is it four okay four and homesick is very interesting because it acts like a festival in the sense of like you guys curate it pick all the bands and you have expanded it to do it both in northern california and southern california Mm -hmm. um where did that original idea come up with where it's like hey we just want to put together a show with our friends yeah so my my standard answer which is true like 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 my oh my my vague sort of headline answer to that question, which again is true, is I noticed how the larger festivals were very diverse and the, more, and the smaller, more mid-level festivals were still very genre-specific. And that just didn't make sense to me because it feels like everybody likes everything now. Um, and, you know, Ceremony is a band that um, aren't just one thing. And I, and I feel like the same the same people who will go see, um, you know, a Cold Cave or a Black Marble or Spelling or Choir Boy are the same people who, there are many people who would also go see Touche Amore or um, Us or Joyce Manor. These are all bands who, who, who have played. So that's sort of the vague answer was that I, I wanted to there to, it felt like there was not a more mid-level event that... And when I say mid-level, I mean not of, like, the tens of thousands of people um, that, w- that wasn't genre-specific. The, the more detailed version of that was Touche. The only... So that's Touche Amore right there. there this Jeremy go. flipped me off. Touche... Homesick has a one, uh, a no repeat rule. We try and have no band repeat. Touche is the only band besides Sarah Bodie that has played more than once. So homesick, homesick alum, (laughs) homesick legends. Um, But the the real reason why homesick exists is because I had this idea. um, I would see Drab Majesty shirts and Trapped Under Eye shirts at like you know, just two random bands off the top of my head that at, at all types of shows. And, and one of them, the band I saw the most and who really exemplified what Homesick is about was a band called Power Trip. And Riley, yep, give it up. Give it up for Power Trip. Riley, dear friend since, you know, early teenage years. 
And I was thinking about doing this event. I had this idea for this event, but I was like, doing a festival just seems like so much work. And it, it may be more than I can handle. If I can get Power Trip to confirm and come out and do it, I will, I'll do the whole thing. If, if they're unavailable or if, or if they can't, then forget it. It, it, it'll be, that'll be a good sign. If they can do it, good. If not, it wasn't meant to be. And I texted Riley, and he loved the idea. He was like, that's exactly where I, I want to be. I want to start playing with, with more non-punk and metal bands, um, more, more, uh, less hard, not only hardcore and metal bands, rather. Um, and they agreed to do it. So I had Power Trip, and I had Ceremony, so I was like, okay, let's put together a lineup. So we had Touche, Black Marble, King Woman, Hyde, Fury, um, at the first at the first one which now is like that lineup is like i can't even i can't believe we put that together but yeah riley from power trip is is why homesick exists i i just i love that if this happens then i'll do it yes and and he was all he was he was all in yeah that's amazing yeah Miss him dearly. Putting the focus on you as a person, um, for as long as I've known you, um, you've always seemed very comfortable in your skin, uh, whether that's like just a projection (laughs) or whether that is the actual truth. (laughs) Um, I'm sure there was uh, many points, you know, during your early teenage years where you were maybe uncomfortable. Um, When do you feel like you, I guess, grew into yourself where you were like, regardless of what people think of me, I am going to do whatever it is I want to do, however I'm going to express myself visually. Yeah, um, yeah. it didn't really seem like an option to me. Okay. You know, I just... Um, I expressed myself how I felt comfortable and expressed myself based on the, the art that influenced me throughout my life. And look, let's just be honest. I was afforded the privilege of everything that I do is, is that expresses myself in a way that seems sort of subversive is external, right? I could ultimately, I could go to the grocery store and, and have my beard grow out and not be wearing makeup and have my nail polish chipped. And I would just look like a normal, a normal guy, normal white guy, which is with, with pretty good hair. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I think that now when I look back at it, because I didn't think about it when, when I was in my early teenage years of like, okay, I'm going to dress like this today. I hope this goes well at school. Or, okay, ceremony's playing Posse Numbers Fest. There's not one person here that looks like me. Hope this goes well. I didn't, I, I wasn't conscious of that. I just, I just did what felt right to me. But I think that, being able to being being privileged of of existing as a a white cis man allowed me the confidence to do that and yes like i get i i am very appreciative of anyone who has ever kind of gave any notion that how i've expressed myself has been at all inspirational as, as grand as that seemed like I, I'm very 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 appreciative of that and thank you but on the other hand there are so many people who can't 
who the world will view them as they are, period. I get to choose, I get to put on makeup and then, okay, people will view me a certain way. So I try and not take too much pride in that because um, ultimately I can and often do be recognized and be viewed as the world as, as a just a run-of-the-mill male guy who's, you know, existing, getting themselves some kombucha. And um, so I know, I, again, I know I kind of went off a little bit there, but um, I think the con... Yeah, I mean, you know, context is everything, and it's, it is different. Um, now, that said, first time when we played positive numbers, I didn't love... Um, having all these older, aggressive dudes come up to me um, pretending like they were going to uh, have sex with me against my will because th- uh, I was a woman. Um, that, that didn't feel great. No. No, that didn't feel great. But again, that, was never, that, that wasn't an actual threat to me. So it makes it a little easier for me to bounce back. That threat was 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 just it sucked, but it wasn't it wasn't real. Right. You know what I mean? It was in it was in very it was in despicable taste and the subtext is deplorable, but again, that was not a real threat towards me. I was just being made fun of where people get those sort of threats every day and they are real. So I try I try not steal too much, too much sort of uh, too much valor, yes. in, you know, in, in in how I present myself. No, and that's and that's very fair because, I mean, not only because you articulated it well, but just the idea that there's a certain privilege that exists, obviously, with people's circumstances, and when you steal too much valor, and you're like, yeah, I am pretty cool. That's when it's like you're not. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Now, it, what I you know, but. Honesty, honesty is is everything, and you just got to be true to who who you really are. Yeah, as much as you as much as you can. Exactly. Um, two last things I want to hit on was the um, like you we were talking about in the original podcast we did of just your foundational record labels and bands and stuff like that that you were getting into. Um, were there labels that really, I guess, kind of spoke to you as you started to discover punk and hardcore that you were like, oh, wow, like, I now know what a record label is. And I'm going to follow all of these bands on it. Was there stuff that yeah, your box? Yeah. There w- um, obviously, Rev and Discord and Touch and Go, um, 4AD was a big one. Um, all the Beggars labels that were, you know, all the bands, you know, the... Um, you know, that's how you find, you know, your Bauhauses and your Dead Can Dances. And um, so there were a lot. And I feel like that's, I, I hate back in my day culture. And I feel like it's very important for us to move, to, to keep moving forward and to focus on what's happening now. With that said, I think one of the sad things about how we do consume music now is, um, 
is we're not is that kind of doesn't exist anymore. A record label is just like the the last thing you see on the bottom of a scroll on a sort of streaming music page, and there isn't that culture around labels anymore that there were where you find that X band is on a label, so I want to see what else is on that label. That doesn't really exist. But I guess on the other on the other side, it's like well, things are more accessible, so people are that that sort of thing is existing in a different through in through a different avenue which is which is great um but yeah i mean you know we loved panic and shark attack and american nightmare i mean like the 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 early bridge nine stuff was 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 huge with us um yeah i mean there were so i mean there were so many yeah no for sure and uh the last thing was the you've toured a lot you've toured worldwide there are undoubtedly things that you do to make yourself more comfortable from a touring perspective. Uh-huh. What is it that you do? Whether it's, I'm the first to the van so I can get shotgun, or whatever it is to make yourself more comfortable. Um, I drink as much water as I can. Okay. That makes me feel... Trying to feel, feel good on the inside um, is, really, is really important for me now. Um, I, tr- I have a little like five minute yoga routine in the morning that I try and do. Um, I try and um, I do eat uh, and consume things that are only uh, that only nourish me. But as far as like you know, I feel like as we've gotten older, those those things like the my like I don't care about my seat in the van as much. <laughs> Honestly, what I want I want to play and now it's like it's really all about the show because when we were were first starting you only ever stay on floors your drives are only ever super long and now we're to the point where thankfully like you know a lot of the things that are sort of external like are are pretty much sorted out um so what really really makes a tour and a you know a routing for me is being able to make sure that we perform and sound and are are as good as possible every night so like you know making sure we're not late for sound check right you know i know that like that sounds like i can't believe like they like care about sound check now but it's like well like fuck man you know like people it's so many bands are playing right now and it's like to get people to come to a show right now is not is it's it's hard to do to convince someone to spend 20 or however many dollars to come see you do the thing that you know you do for 45 minutes and i just feel like i want to that to be as good as possible for the people who make that choice so that's all of my decisions on tour are most of them lean towards towards that yeah no, making that's good. you know right you are you are giving back to obviously the the literal thing that you are there to do yeah the only thing that actually matters that we do on tour it doesn't matter if i'm uncomfortable it matters if we uh play and sound well yes good. yes well anthony we have done it Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Of course. Again, thank you so much for being here. This is (laughs) incredible. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful conversations. 
I really, um, yeah, I just care about both of them as humans. And it's great to always have these connective tissues be pulled together, whether it's seeing each other at a music festival, some 3,000, 6,000, 3,000, I don't know how many miles, but many, many miles away from where we all live in California. And it's beautiful. So thank you very much for the Outbreak team, for the awesome, awesome audio engineer, Simone, for capturing all this, and for you listening to these live podcasts. Because I know some people are like, oh, live podcasts, I don't know. They're just there to entertain people there at the actual event. And that's not the case. I, uh, I really made sure that this was a fun experience for all parties involved. Next week, it's a really special one because we are talking about the 10 year anniversary of this show, you know, 520 episodes into this thing and it's still going strong. And I have a white whale of a guest for next week. I have Chris Higdon from Falling Forward, from Elliot, from Frontiers. I was so excited to have him. He and I, um, we traded, I, I, I would say traded. It was a one-sided communique that I was throwing his general direction. I've bugged him for probably about four or five years, tried through mutual friends. And um, it's funny because he just wasn't uh, really interested in revisiting the past. But then once uh, Elliot started to gear up to play Furnace Fest, and then you know now they're doing a bunch of other shows, which I am incredibly excited about, I was like, let's make this happen. And then a mutual friend was like, okay, let's do this, and then was able to make it all work well. And uh, that's what I have for the 10-year anniversary of the show. It's great. So more on that next week, of course. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.